Uh, Daniel chapter 9. Uh, we're going we're gonna to pick up this morning right where we left off last week. Uh, we looked at the first 19 verses of this famous chapter, Daniel's Prayer. And uh, we're going to pick up in verse 20. So just a short passage today, verses um, uh, 20 to 27. But really what I'm hoping to do with our time together is paint a bit of a, a tapestry uh, for you from a lot of different biblical contexts. And so we have, we have Daniel in the Old Covenant era, prophecy of uh, Messiah. We're going to look at that passage. We're going to look at a passage in uh, Matthew 21 of Jesus coming into Jerusalem uh, during his triumphant, during his uh, humble entry. Uh, we're going to look at a passage from uh, Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica, and then we'll finish with some apocalyptic literature in Revelation. So we're going to be a lot of places today in the next few minutes, and so I just encourage you to have your Bibles open and ready, and if you're a note taker, you'll have plenty of things to write down uh, today as we get into uh, this passage. So picking up where we left off last week, let me, let me summarize uh, for you uh, and recap for those who may not have been with us last week as we uh, looked at the first part of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel uh, is in prayer in a place of confession, uh, a place of personal responsibility uh, for Israel. He includes himself in the confession and the personal responsibility of Israel. He is aware of the need that Israel has before the living God. And he is also aware of the righteousness of God to discipline Israel for their rebellion and their disobedience. And so there was an awareness of need. And secondly, we talked a lot about in, a, in um and in addition to the awareness of the need, there was a confidence that Daniel had when he was praying. He was confident in two things. In verse 4, he was confident in what is called a covenant of love. The Hebrew word there is hesed. Uh, hesed is translated covenant of love or the steadfast love of God. Uh, hesed is the Hebrew equivalent of the Greek word charis, which is translated grace. And so he was very aware, verse 4, of the covenant of love, the hesed, the grace of God toward him. And then in verse 9, he was also very much aware of the mercy of God. And so we're learning to connect forgiveness and mercy. And we talked about the differences between grace and mercy. The hesed or the grace of God is undeserved, unmerited favor to us from God. There's nothing that we have done to receive it. The grace of God has given it to us because he is full of grace, unmerited favor, blessing. Whereas mercy is the withholding of deserved punishment. And so as Daniel is very aware of his need, of the need of Israel, he's also quite confident in the grace and the undeserved favor toward Israel and the mercy of God toward Israel, which gives him forgiveness, which wipes the slate clean before God, which reconciles them to God. And so a, um, just a, uh, I guess an equation, a, um, this is not on, I have trouble with this every week. There it is. So this is the summary of last week. This is what I wanted you to grab onto. A confidence in God's grace and mercy plus an awareness of need before God equals an empowered, an empowered perseverance. As a reminder of last week, again, uh, Daniel and Israel, they were 67 years into Israel's captivity in Babylon. And according to the Jeremiah prophecy that came just a generation before, that 
Israel would be held captive in Babylon for 70 years. So Daniel knew as he was praying that there are three more years to be captive in Babylon. His prayer, as we unpacked it, certainly full of faith, full of faith. But also it carried a sense of urgency. It carried a sense of passion and desperation before the living God. And so an empowered perseverance certainly was necessary for Daniel and for Israel. And I would say to you today at the beginning of 2021, as we've gotten into this year, it is also really necessary for us to understand and know what an empowered perseverance that we have. From God. Before we read the passage, I want to just point out three things, a forecast a little bit. So as we read these things in the first reading, you'll, you'll know um, initially what Daniel is talking about. Uh, we see an appearance of Gabriel for the second time. But it's a little different in this chapter than it was in chapter 8. The first time we saw Gabriel was in chapter 8. Daniel had his second kind of apocalyptic vision and dream. And so God sent Gabriel to give an interpretation to Daniel of that vision. That's where we saw Gabriel in chapter 8. Now that we're in chapter 9, Gabriel isn't coming to give an interpretation of a dream to Daniel. He's coming to bring a revelation to Daniel. And the revelation is about a timeline of Israel's future. And so the revelation that Gabriel's coming specifically is this timeline of, of the nation of Israel's, their prophetic future. And uh, the language that you're going to hear as we read this, it depends on what translation you have. It's going to say 70 weeks or 70 sevens. And so what you need to understand as we get there is that a week of years in this text is seven years. So a week is seven years. And so when it talks about 77s or 70 weeks, what Daniel is talking about is 490 years because a week of years is seven years. You guys with me right now? So 400, it's a, it's a prophetic timeline future for Israel, 490 years. That's, that's what we're going to be engaging on. And then thirdly, we're going to see this language, um, the abomination of desolation. Daniel talks about that here in chapter 9. He will talk about it again in chapter 11. If you are with us in our Mark series last year, we talked about the abomination of desolation in our Mark series in Mark chapter 13, because Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation in Mark chapter 13, and he talks about it as well in Matthew 24. Same thing that Daniel is predicting in 9 and 11. Here's a commentary, a commentator on the abomination of desolation. The term conveys the outrage and horror of a barbaric act of idolatry inside God's holy temple in Jerusalem. And so when we get there, we're going to unpack that in a few minutes as well. We'll talk more about that. But those are the three things I just wanted to forecast with you as we read this passage. So a shorter passage today, again, Daniel 9. Verses 20 to 27. Daniel says, while I was speaking and praying, he was speaking and praying the entire beginning of chapter nine. While that's happening, he's still praying, um, speaking, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. Speaking of the temple mount in Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man that I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. 
And he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you begin to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Here's where the detail comes in. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people. Seventy-sevens, 490 years are decreed for the Jewish people. Find my place. For your holy city to finish transgression and to put an end to sin to atone for the wickedness and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, Gabriel says to Daniel, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, speaking of the Messiah, from the time of the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem or the temple specifically until the anointed one, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. You add seven sevens with 62 sevens and you get 69 sevens or 483 years. I'm gonna put a math equation up so this will make even more sense in a minute. So there's gonna be seven sevens and 62 sevens and it will be rebuilt with streets and trench. But in the times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. And the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and the end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. Verse 27 and he will confirm he, this is speaking of the Antichrist now, and he will confirm a covenant with many, with Israel included. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, for one seven year period. And the middle of the seven or three and a half years into this final seven years, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on the wing of the temple, on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. A prophecy of the 77s. Daniel is praying and he's pouring his heart out before God with confession and repentance and petition. In verse 19, one of the things that it said that Daniel prayed was, God, delay not. You can look at that in verse 19. One of the things he utters is delay not. And then in the very next verse, Gabriel comes, it says, with swift, with swift flight. I mean, that is some answered prayer in a moment. He's praying, delay not, and then boom, Gabriel is there. That is some quick answered prayer. Here's a couple of verses to encourage you around faith, around praying and trusting in God. From um, Isaiah chapter 58, verse nine, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry and he will say, here I Am. We see this directly in this passage, Isaiah 65, verse 24. Before they call, I will answer. 
while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Um, my friend Jimmy, uh, last January, he spoke and he wrote a book called One Word That Will Change Your Life. And uh, the, the, the premise of the book is to engage with the Lord every year, not about a resolution, but that, uh, about a word that will give you some focus for that particular year. And so this is the third year I have engaged that uh, process of picking a word for the year. Our, our family uh, does this process now. It makes for some wonderful conversations as we get into the year and live throughout the year. But my word for this year is pray which you know, might seem interesting to you. It's like, oh, it's, you know, isn't a pastor supposed to pray already? Um, I, I, I want a refreshment in my soul and heart and life about um, what it means to trust God in our prayers. Um, and not just what I speak, but about what it means for me to listen what it means for me to, to have a desperation before God, to be dependent more fully on God this year and to trust God in a, in a fuller way this year. And so my word of the year is pray. You can pray for me in my word. I pray for uh, the year. This gives me, uh, this passage especially gives me some incredible confidence uh, and faith around this word prayer and this discipline of praying before the Lord. Um, Daniel praying again, Gabriel comes, he reveals a word went out. While you were praying, a word went out. Uh, God sends a word to Gabriel in the moment to answer the prayer, delay not, swiftly he shows up to bring Daniel this revelation. Um, to explain the future to him. I've come to give you insight and understanding, Gabriel says, consider the message and understand the vision. Now, certainly the vision and the message, there's some detail in here about uh, end times prophecy, and we're gonna talk about that uh, in just a moment. But before we get there, there's something in verse 23 I really, I don't want us to miss, but be, because before Gabriel gives all of this detail about this end time prophecy, he speaks a word to Daniel that I think is just uh, wonderful, amazing, uh, centering, securing for us. In verse 23, again, he says, before he speaks the revelation, he says, which I've come to tell you, for you are, I'm reading out of the NIV, for you are highly esteemed. This is the NIV. If you have a New Living Translation, what Gabriel tells Daniel is, you are very precious to God. If you're reading from the ESV, Here's the translation of the ESV. You are greatly loved. He starts there. First and foremost, I want you to know, Daniel, before I give you all this prophetic future of God's people, Israel, I'm gonna tell you individually, you are greatly loved. And then what's the word, what's the next? If you're looking in your Bible with me right now, what's the next word? After he says you are greatly loved or you are highly esteemed, what's the next word in your text? Somebody tell me. Therefore. So we've talked about this before. Whenever you see a therefore in scripture, learn to ask the question, what's the therefore? Therefore. Fun little, fun little thing to do. Anytime you see it in scripture, always pause. What's the therefore? There's always something before, before the next word that is given. What's the therefore? Therefore, Daniel, you are highly loved. You are secure, therefore consider, understand this vision. I wanna pause here for just a minute because we spent a lot of time at Two Rivers Church 
teaching you, helping you, shepherding you to understand and know and find security that your identity in Christ is what empowers you in your life to live as a disciple of Christ. That first and foremost, we must understand our identity in Christ. That is what actually empowers our discipleship in following Jesus. And we must understand who we are in Christ first and foremost. The Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And in every epistle, every pastoral letter that he wrote, his, his theology, his approach in his writing is always what's called indicative and then imperative. Here's what that means. I'm going to start by telling you what's true first of you. I'm going to speak your being over you. I'm going to speak your identity over you before I bring imperative, before I tell you the commands that I am telling you as an apostle. It's always that way in Paul. Our value is spoken over us First, our performance, our performance, our doing for God doesn't give us value before God. God speaks our value or our identity over us. You are greatly loved, which empowers us then to consider, understand, know the vision, be a disciple of Jesus. Our value spoken over us, our belovedness spoken over us, which empowers us in our lives. And what I love about this passage is that we have a passage in the old covenant, pre-Christ in the inauguration of the new covenant of grace. And we see Gabriel doing the same thing, speaking the value of Daniel. You are highly esteemed. You are greatly loved first and foremost before he brings the vision to him. I think that's significant for us uh, this morning. So he speaks that identity over him. And then in verse 24, uh, he gives Daniel some, honestly, some rather complex details about both the immediate prophetic future of Israel and a distant end times future that's honestly still prophetic and future for us today. So that's what I need to uh, teach on and unpack for you. All in all, all in all, it was 77s or 70 weeks, which is 490 years total. And so in just doing some math here, you've got 70 weeks of years is 490. And as we read the text, you heard the language, there were seven sevens and 62 sevens. And it said, after the 62 sevens, which comes after the seven sevens, a total of that, seven plus 62 is 69. And so seven weeks plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks, which is 483 years. If you hate math, bear with me right now. I love math, so this is, I love this stuff. If I wasn't a pastor, I would be a math teacher, probably teaching calculus maybe, and a basketball coach. I'm still a basketball coach, but I'm not teaching math. But I get to teach math today, so I'm having fun. So hang with me if math is not your thing. But this is important to be able to really understand uh, this passage. What Gabriel is saying is that there would be a 483-year time period between the decree to rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple 483 years between, that's the first, that's the beginning. And then at 483 years, that's when the time of Messiah would come. That's when the anointed one would come in that 483 year time period. So with that said, let's, 
Let's look at an Easter story. Turn over to the right into Matthew, first book of the New Testament. This is the triumphant or the humble entry of Jesus. And we're gonna connect the math here in just a minute with these two passages. As they, the disciples, were approaching Jerusalem, Holy Week, this five days before the cross of Calvary when Jesus would lay his life down for us. They approached Jerusalem. They came to Bethpage. Bethpage is a town on the Mount of Olives, which is just to the east of the Temple Mount. And Jesus sent two of his disciples ahead, saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there. And with her colt by her, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Every, every prophecy that God has spoken will come true. God is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. So to fulfill the prophecy, verse Five, say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. It was actually a baby donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And crowds that went ahead of him, those that followed, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, it's a big phrase for our text this morning. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that day, on this day, the triumphant entry, the humble entry, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowd answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. When Jesus entered Jerusalem on that day. Now get ready to be encouraged. Get ready for your faith and the truth of scripture to be strengthened. Get ready to have a renewal of your faith to know that God, when God speaks, his word does not come back void. The day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on that donkey to proclaim himself as Israel's Messiah, as the anointed one that Daniel gave a prophecy about in Daniel chapter nine, was 483 years after the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem was given. Prophecy fulfilled, that's what you need to know. I get chills, I got chills last service saying this out loud, I get chills saying it aloud to you. Daniel said there's gonna be 483 years and when Jesus rode in on Holy Week, it was 483 years, prophecy fulfilled. Now here's what's important and we need to look closely at the prophecy in Daniel nine to understand what's happening here. In verse 26, it says, after the 62 sevens, which is after 69 sevens, because it was seven sevens and 62 sevens. Are y'all with me right now? Which is 69 sevens. If you're not into math, you're like, oh my gosh, get me out of math class. After 483 years, that's what it says in verse 26. After the 62 sevens, which was after 483 years, that is when Jesus rides into Jerusalem on the donkey. And after the coming of the Messiah, we know this from verse 26, God's prophetic clock was going to have a gap. There would be a gap between 
the Messiah being cut off at 483 years and the last seven year period and the 490 years. There's a gap between 483 and the last seven which is the fulfillment of the whole prophet. So earlier we said there is a, there's a, 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 a near time, immediate fulfillment of the future. That's the 483. And then there's a distant fulfillment of the prophecy, which is still future to us, which is the last seven years of Israel's prophetic timeline. And in this gap, if you look closely at verse 26, three things were going to take place in this gap time period. One, it says that the Messiah or the anointed one would be cut off five days after he comes in Jerusalem, cross of Calvary. Five days after he rode in the cross, check. City of Jerusalem and the sanctuary, God's holy temple, would be destroyed. In AD 70, the emperor of Rome, Nero, comes in like a bulldozer into Jerusalem, levels Jerusalem and the holy temple. Fulfillment of prophecy, check. Thirdly, it says desolations or hardships for the Jews would continue from that time on. Just read history, check, 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 check. So when we get to verse 27, this is some detail of what we're looking at here. When we get to verse 27, the timeline skips to the final seven-year period, which is still future to us. Are y'all with me right now? I'm hope I'm, I hope I'm making sense. This is called the tribulation. We talked about this earlier in the study of Daniel. This is the tribulation period. The final seven years of this prophecy to Daniel is the tribulation period. And he, in verse 27, is the Antichrist. Let me, let's read this verse again, because this is still future to us today. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. One seven is a seven-year time period. And in the middle of the seven, which is three and a half years in, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on, on him. The whole seven-year period is known as the tribulation. The second half of that, the last three and a half years, is known as the great tribulation because the intensity of which the prophecies talk about. Here's what we know from this verse there is going to be this world peace covenant signed. We talked before earlier in the study that the Antichrist is gonna be this um, genius orator and the deception will deceive the world. And so a world dictator, if you will, and it's gonna look like peace. It's gonna look like peace initially, but it's deception. Because in the middle of the final week, three and a half years in, the Antichrist will put a stop to Jewish sacrifices in the Great Tribulation. No one, it says, will be allowed um, or permitted to worship anyone but the Antichrist. 
You, the, the world, no one will be allowed to worship anyone, anything, except the worship of the Antichrist. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a precursor to the Antichrist. We talked about his story in chapter three, when he builds the 90-foot statue, right? The gold statue, and the decree goes out in the whole world, like, you must bow. And the humble, courageous faith of Mishael and Hananiah and Azariah, they would not bow. This is what the prophecy is saying to us again. In the same way, that will happen again, and the Antichrist will set him up as a deity and demand worship from all of the earth. Paul talks about this. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. A letter to the church in Thessalonica concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come. He's saying, some of you are unsettled with some end time prophecy stuff, some hysteria is going out. You're like counting days. Not even the son of man knows the hour that the father will send him back. And so they have believed a false message that the second coming of Jesus has already happened. And he's telling the church, it hasn't happened yet. And then he goes, verse three, don't let anyone deceive you in any way for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness, speaking of the Antichrist, is revealed the man doomed to destruction. Verse four, he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is what the prophecy of Daniel says in verse 27. This is what Daniel calls the abomination of desolation. The Antichrist, the world dictator, demanding to be worshiped as God. Now, is this serious things for us to think about, consider? Yes, yes. But not to lend us to a place of fear, certainly. So my hope today is to teach the word of God to you in a way that you can understand it. Were these serious things for Daniel to consider? Yes, what did Gabriel say? Understand, listen, consider the message. We would be wise to do the same. But we know who we are in Christ. Daniel, before the prophecy, again, you are greatly loved, Daniel. Paul tells the church in Ephesians, your call, your beingness, your, the indicative message in Ephesians, in the very beginning of Ephesians, is to be rooted and grounded in love. You are the beloved of God. Are these serious things to consider and think about? Yes, but know this, you are greatly loved today and always, and also we know the end of the story. If you're old like me, uh, I'll, I'll let my, this is a younger church, I'll be old, I'm 47, Paul Harvey, and this is the rest of the story. I'd say it this way to you guys, we don't know the rest of the story, we know the end of the story. And so that's where I wanna finish 
today. We know the end of the story. Daniel talks about the end of the story at the, at the end of chapter nine. He says, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Next word, until. It's a really important word if you're an underliner or a circler in your Bible. Circle until. Until the end that is decreed is poured out on him, is poured out on the Antichrist. At the end of the final week, at the end of the seven-year period, which is still future to us, the tribulation period, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, will return in his second coming to this earth. Hallelujah. We know who we are in Christ. We know the end of the story. Hope is never lost for the people of God. Will we go through some fire? Yes, we'll go through some fire. Will there be a tribulation? Yes. We know who we are in Christ. We are saved and redeemed, and we know the end of the story. Let's turn to Revelation 19. I'll finish here this morning. This is the end of the story. You're greatly loved in Jesus. You are saved by Jesus, and your hope is fully in Jesus. Here's the end of the story. Verse 11, chapter 19, Revelation John writes, he was given this revelation, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. In the first advent, Jesus came in on a baby donkey. In the second advent, he's coming in riding a white war horse. Put that in your theological pipe and smoke it this morning. (laughs) His name is Faithful and True, not unfaithful, and deceiver, faithful and true. Even when we have been unfaithful, God remains faithful. We will know the truth of God and the truth will set us free. His name is faithful and true. With justice, we lament at the lack of justice. We are in Daniel days, the chaos confusion. With justice, He judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a white robe. It is dipped in blood and his name is the word of God. He is living word. The armies of heaven were following him Guess what? They were also riding on white war horses. This is fantastic. And they were dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Mercy, clean, slate wiped clean, reconciled, restored. These are the people of God. These are the disciples. This is you and me. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads on the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Every knee and every bow, every every knee and every head will bow before the name of Jesus. 
And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals and mighty men and horses and their riders and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. Then this is the end of the story. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf and these signs. This is talking about Satan himself and the Antichrist. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped his image The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Daniel, Two Rivers Church, consider the vision. He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Hallelujah. You are greatly loved, church, this morning. Be encouraged, be strengthened. You are saved in Jesus by the work of Jesus. Your hope is fully in Jesus. The mercy and grace of Jesus is being proclaimed to you. Lament and hope must be held together in our lives. An awareness of our need. Yes, certainly an awareness of our need. Plus, the confidence that we have in the grace and mercy of God equals an empowered perseverance. Let us live with lament and hope and an empowered perseverance as we come in to this new year together. Amen. Worship team, you can come back up. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for encouraging us this morning with the promises that have been fulfilled and the promises that are yet to be fulfilled. Lord, we want to be strengthened today in these Daniel days of our own to hold, lament, and shalom and hope together so that we might, as a church family, bear witness to the goodness of Jesus in our our families, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city, in our world. We bless your name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.